白いバットのギャングルに今日も嵐が吹き荒れる「ルール無用の悪党に正義のパンチをぶちかませ」「ゆけゆけタイガータイガーマスク」Welcome to the Winter Palace Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Cole, editor and publisher of Odessa Zeb's Magazine. We're happy to have the return today of the King of Kingsport, Bo James. We're going to first talk about the death of Jim Crockett Jr. The Crocketts promoted the Tri Cities area of Tennessee where Bo grew up. That's the first wrestling he saw as a kid in between the closing of Ron Fuller's Knoxville Territory and the return of Continental in the mid 80s. We're also going to talk a lot about Jim Crockett Sr. and his promoting that area of the country back in the 1930s. That's actually where Crockett got his start before he moved to the Carolinas. We're going to talk lots about the Carolina wrestling over the years, the Flair Mulligan promotion that were also owned Knoxville for a time. And then we're going to talk lots and lots of Southeastern Continental, Knoxville, the Tri Cities, the Fullers. Ron Wright, Wrighty Caldwell, Ron Garvin, all the people you'd expect us to talk about, and a whole lot of other stuff. Thanks, as always, to Bo, who always brings a wealth of information to the podcast. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back to the Winter Palace. Wrestling lost one of its most historic figures of the modern era recently in the passing of Jim Crockett Jr.、Uh, to talk about that and probably some other stuff along the way. I'm happy to welcome back to the show a man who has seen his fair share of Crockett, although not necessarily in the Carolinas. We're happy to bring back the King of Kingsport, Bo James. How's it going, Bo?、Uh, doing well. Glad to talk about、uh, my childhood here. A lot of people know me because I talk continental and southeastern. I'm the historian of that territory, but I grew up in the Crockett territory too, right here in the Tri Cities in East Tennessee. And the first live events I went to were Jim Crockett promotion, the first live wrestling. And, and the wrestling that I made sure that I saw every Saturday at one o'clock on Channel 5 was Jim Crockett's Mid Atlantic Wrestling. Yeah, for people that Don't know.、Um, not by, by the time we're talking about in 81,、um, people who listen to the Studcast may know this, but Ron had sold, not, this is after the war, so Ron had sold to Jim Barnett, and then Barnett ran it for a year or so, and then he sold it to Flair and Blackjack Mulligan, so it became, in effect, a, a pseudo. Jim Crockett satellite territory, sort of in the way that they ran Toronto?、Uh, well, he, no, I'm talking about before that. Oh, you mean during the Barnett years? Crockett was. Crockett? Okay. Okay. Jim Crockett is, is from Bristol. I was going to say, we were going, I was going to bring up the connection to Jim Crockett Sr.、Yeah. So. Jim Crockett Sr. is from Bristol. His first town that he ran, and there's evidence. Or, not evidence, but proof that he was promoting it all the way back to 1933 before he moved to Charlotte. And he always considered this his territory. And he bought it again in 39 and ran it for a couple of years.、Um, 
and then kind of shut it down because he got the Carolinas going so well. Jim, Big Jim, Jim Sr.'s brother, Walter Crockett, was a newsman and the program director at Channel 5 for years and years and years. And he was showing Crockett's TV here because Channel 5 reached so far out, Crockett could still run spot shows in Virginia off of Channel 5 out of Bristol. And he came back into running Kingsport, Jim Jr. did, in 77. Um, after Fuller had went into Bluefield, West Virginia. And he felt Fuller had crossed the line going into there because that was part of Crockett territory. So we're going to Kingsport. So they start running here, doing good business. Fuller was doing great business. Fuller actually was beating Crockett because it was still considered the hometown, <clears throat> hometown territory. But, uh, when the war started in 79, it was all-star wrestling against Southeastern. And I, and I tell people all the time, Jim Crockett won the war because he ended up with the Tri-Cities and all the towns around here. And by 81, when you're talking about Flair and Mulligan, the war was still going on. It was Poffos against Fuller and Mul or against Mulligan and Flair and Crockett. And it lasted, people don't realize the war lasted till late into 82, early 83. So did you, so were, did they have a specific crew that was just in the, the Flair Mulligan territory that did not work Crockett too? And then they had Crockett guys come in or was it all guys coming over from yeah. Crockett? No, they had they had guys in uh, in Knoxville, but they would still send matches from Crockett to fill out the card or give more star power because you know they were trying to rebuild an area and they were trying to to fight the war. But I mean, Kingsport got a town. I mean, we got Flair Steamboat. We we got Andre and in, in uh, Mulligan against Stud and the Superstar. I mean, we we got whatever was hot in mid-Atlantic because Kingsport was ran off of channel five that showed the mid-Atlantic TV. We got what was coming off of that TV with some Knoxville guys on it. Were you getting both Crockett TV shows at that point or just one or the other? Uh, you could, I couldn't get it out here where I live, but if you lived in Johnson city, Kingsport or Bristol and were on the city cable, you could get Asheville, Channel 13 out of Asheville, so you could see worldwide. So you really could see Flair Mulligan TV, Mid-Atlantic TV, and Worldwide. You'd see three of their programs every weekend. And so who were the guys that were considered local at that point? Uh, they were working in Knoxville Territory, yeah. Mulligan. Uh, Mulligan Jr., which was Barry Windham, uh, Mongolian Stomper, Don Carson, um, Fullers would come in and do some shots. Uh, Don Carnoodle and Steve Muslin were here under mask as the destroyers working on the Knoxville end. Alfred Hayes was here. 
Um, Johnny Weaver was part of the Knoxville crew for a while. Um, so all name talent. And then you'd have guys like Jeff Sword, Doug Vines, Izzy Slapowitz. Um, they were working for Fo uh, Flair and Mulligan. Um, I'm trying to think of some other guys. And then you'd have guys like Tim Horner and Tony Anthony who were just getting started. Uh, Buddy never worked for Flair and Mulligan full time. He worked for the Crockett office and would end up on some of the some of the stuff over here. And oh, and Ron Wright. Ron Wright worked for Flair and Mulligan. He he was the first one to cross back over to the NWA side after the split. Cool. And how long did, how long were Flair and Mulligan officially owners before they gave it up? Maybe a year. Right at a year. They took over in 80, summer of 80, and by probably summer of 81, they were done. And then it just became, you know, then it was just the full card coming from Charlotte when they ran ran the Tri-Cities, and was they got it, out of Knoxville. Was it due to, like, poor business, or were they just – well, because Flair, Flair had been championed by that point, right? That's one of the reasons I've heard that it – like, he could not give his total attention to it because he was, he was gone so often. Yeah, and, and Knoxville was dead. I mean, Knoxville was just – they had killed it. I mean – at the end, they tried, um, you know, Chihuahua Park outside. They did the Jacobs building. They tried the Coliseum. Then they were down to running the Golden Gloves Arena at Chihuahua Park, which might hold 700 people. So it was – Knoxville was done. Knoxville needed that break. And then, of course, once they shut down and moved out, Barnett came back to Knoxville running once a month at the Coliseum, but it never, it really did not get hot again in Knoxville until Fuller came back in, in March of 86. And that's all still residue from the war? Yeah, yeah. People just had such a sour taste in their mouth and just, they were tired of it. I guess that's sort of understandable given how bitter we've heard things got during, you know, from the stuff that Ron's talked about on his show by now, just how, and again, I, mean, I think we may have talked about it the last time you were on, but, you know, the, some of the stuff that the, the Splinter guys had done, in, including, of course, the, the Plan B video that didn't get out until a couple of years ago, which. Yeah. And, and that, you know, that Plan B video was made for one person, Jim Crockett. And it was sent to Jim Crockett. They were hoping Crockett was going to step in and either try to make peace and get them back with Barnett or take them in on his side or whatever. It was the last, that was the last hope. That was in 80, spring of 80, when they knew they were done. So they did that, and as I've heard from people that were involved in that video, we sent it to Crockett. We figured he'd call. Nothing. He never even acknowledged it ever existed. So <laughs> it didn't work either way. 
And it's interesting that some of those guys ended up working for Crockett a couple years later anyway. Yeah. He knew it was a bluff. He knew they weren't going to get it out. They weren't going to do what they were threatening to do. He knew that. I don't remember if we talked about this last time, but it is funny how, you know, those guys really weren't like blackball that we would have expected them to be given some of the stuff they did, you know, I mean, you know, Orton and Garvin ended up having, you know, pretty decent careers after that, you know, yeah. Roop off and on, depending on where he was, you know, Ron Wright, you know, like we've talked about before, you know, sort of, you know, had his day job. That was probably, you know, enough for him at that point in time by, you know, the eighties. And then, yeah. you know, Blinka was retired any, you know, mostly retired anyway. Yeah, but they also, that video probably kept them from being blackballed all the way. Because if if they knew then, okay, we're done, we've got nothing, then it may have got out. But they, they weren't planning on showing it anywhere. It was a bluff. And so then, like you said, you had you had the full Crockett crew there from then forward. Because I know on yeah. on the last episode of your podcast, you talked about uh, a Crockett show that was the anniversary a couple of weeks ago that you said was like the had the attendance and money record for one of the buildings in the yeah. Tri Cities. Yeah, for the dome in Kingsport, it still stands to this day. It's it's the city it's the city record, and it was insane the amount of people that was in that building. It and the fire marshal trying to shut it down and trying to get people out of there. Nobody, we ain't leaving. We're watching. And I thought the funny thing is that he ran down that card, and it's and I think if I remember the lineup correctly, there wasn't there was no Dusty on that show. No Dusty, no Orange. So they must have been headlining in town somewhere else. Uh, no Road Warriors. I need to do some research and find out where the other crews were at that night in what towns. But it, we had Flair Nikita, Tully Murdoch, Russians and Jayhawks, Rock and Roll Midnight, uh, Luger. That was Luger's debut here in, in this market. Um, JJ was with Luger. So he would have been the one in charge that night. Uh, of course, handsome Jimmy Boogie Woogie's on, on there. The girls were on. I mean, it was, we got a card that somewhere like Charlotte or Greensboro would have got. Yeah, it's definitely not, it's definitely in an in, in A-level show. I mean, certainly if, you know, Flair's there and whoever would have been tag team champions, I guess rock and rolls at that point probably. Was it rock and roll? Or was it Rude, was it was it Rude and Manny by that point? Rude and Manny, so they would have been in another town too. So I don't know who they would have been working with. Uh, yeah, I need to do some research to find out what other town was running that night. And there's probably were two other towns running that night. Yeah, people. I think people know about how at sort of the in the mid '80s that Vince was running three shows a night famously all over the country, but Crockett had been running 
three shows a night, even I think back in the seventies. I mean, the Crockett Terror before that, before uh, that, he had he had a Virginia crew, a North Carolina crew, and a South Carolina crew running every night. Yeah, I think sometimes people don't realize like how big the how big Crockett was sort of geographic I get because geographically I think people don't because you had the split crews, you don't hear the horror stories about guys working one end to the other the way they would in places like mid south or even in Florida. That yeah. you know, that you had so many people working at one time that you know, probably unless you were like one of the super top guys, you weren't necessarily always, you know, you weren't going from Richmond all the way to Charleston in a week. Or if you were, maybe you were flying. But you weren't you weren't grinding the way you did in other places. Um, every now and again, you would get to Charleston to Charleston. Charleston, West Virginia to Charleston, South Carolina. Some of the guys would get that loop, and they didn't like that too much. You know, because... They didn't start flying until uh, some of them flew in the small planes, but you know Crockett didn't get the plane till the mid '80s. So most of that territory they were driving, and some point in the '70s, they bought Savannah from from the Atlanta office and started running it because it was so close to the other towns. So they had Savannah, Georgia, all the way up to like the Ohio line was the Crockett territory. Yeah, and that's a that's a lot of miles. And they were running in East Tennessee. They were running West Virginia, all of Virginia, all of North Carolina, all of South Carolina, and then that one little corner of Georgia. So they they were running what's that five town or five states, six states, parts of six states that territory was in. Yeah, I remember. I think I've joked with with Mike sometimes that once, you know, they added Baltimore that like we were getting the mid Atlantic TV show yet. They did not add us to the graphic at the beginning of the show, even though we were now, we were now quote unquote part of the territory. And I think probably by the time they would have updated, that's when they changed the name from mid Atlantic to pro the anyway. Pro, yeah. <laughs> we, I think Tennessee got added in 84. I was gonna say the the clip that I saw in yeah. yeah the clip that I saw when I was looking for clips for this yeah had Tennessee so there's there you know like I said there's six or seven states and it's like hey we're in there <laughs> you know and Baltimore certainly became an important Crockett city by by the end yeah yeah and, and yeah we they had been running here for years and I was a kid I used to say well where's Tennessee when they'd show the states you know when it came on and finally I I, I think it was 84 I, I remember the first time I saw it I was like finally there it is we're part of them you know <laughs> even though they're, even though they're here every three weeks because well, they were Kingsport was every three to four weeks Bristol four or five times a year Johnson City four or five times a year so I mean they were here quite often And uh, one of the interesting things that people may or may not know about Jim Crockett Jr. is that he was not 
the original successor to Jim Crockett Sr. Right. Um, the original successor was Jim Crockett's brother-in-law, who was married to Francis Crockett. Yep. But uh, there were some issues. There were some uh, marital issues, which led um, to John Ringley losing that job and it being given to to, to Jim Crockett. And then I guess the rest of they say is history. I know. I think Jimmy was involved in the wrestling, but he wasn't the boss. And I think Jimmy was doing the promoting of the other of it. Because here's something people don't realize about Crockett Sr. and Crockett Jr. and the whole family. They didn't just do wrestling. They promoted everything. Harlem Globetrotters concerts they had a minor league baseball team in charlotte i mean they they were involved in everything that you could sell tickets to and that came from jim senior here in the tri-cities in the 30s because the man that opened up the office it was called southeastern booking office uh, was a guy named pete moore and he owned the appliance stores in, in the kingsport john city bristol Crockett Sr. was a salesman for Pete Moore, and he was his best salesman. And they said, hey, we're going to start doing this, promoting these other things. They had got involved with a guy named Honey Wiles that was an old carny that did wrestling and concerts and different things. And he'll supply it. We promote it. You know, and Crockett's like, I don't know anything about wrestling. And Pete Moore's like, you can sell anything, so learn how to sell this. And that's that's how it started, and he was not. And the, the successor to the Kingsport that territory, when it finally got off the ground in the late '40s and started, became a full-time territory out of Kingsport, was a guy named Mickey Barnes. And Mickey, he would bring Dick Clark's uh, American Bandstand tour in here. He would bring the Harlem Globetrotters. He would bring. He brought Elvis here. Uh, three weeks before Elvis was on the uh, um, oh, what's the big TV show that made him uh, Ed Sullivan? Oh man, Ed Sullivan. Three weeks before Ed Sullivan, he was in Kingsport, drew three hundred people. And I, I've thought about this for years. I wonder how many nights did Mickey Barnes go? If I could have just had him three weeks after, <laughs> you know, he was on that TV, what would he have drawn? But that that was kind of. And a lot of the a lot of the local wrestling offices did that too. Promoted circus. That was another thing that Crockett did. Um, so th- that's why it was called Jim Crockett Promotions presents Mid Atlantic Wrestling because Jim Crockett Promotions was promoting much more than just the wrestling. It was promoting everything. What was the the date of that show that we were just talking about? February the twenty eighth. 87 that's interesting there there is there are no results for that date on cage match i just figured i would quickly try and look it up but oh wow so if as we're going along if i have time i'll try and dig no it's funny because on the 27th they're in albany georgia and pittsburgh and then on the first they're in atlanta and Richmond, 
So, like, well, I guess everywhere's sort of close, but yeah, it's 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 odd that there's no 28, because there's 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, and then March 1st. Wow. So, as as people often say on other podcasts, do not always take these the histories always take the history sites with a grain of salt. Yeah, there, because there's a lot of a lot of events here for like Johnson City and Bristol and stuff that I, I've got clippings for or, or was at as a kid that I never see listed anywhere. I need to sit down someday and type all of them out and send them to these sites so they can they can put them up. Yeah, um, and I think people may not realize that even before the expansion um, in the mid-80s, that Jim Crockett had already once already been NWA president back in yeah. in 1980, which I think, I think people know that he was NWA president, I think, you know, certainly by the time they started really expanding, because, of course, Bob Geiger was still president in like 85, 86. But then after that, Crockett sort of took over once they owned, once they had bought out so many of the other territories. Certainly, yeah. uh, certainly after they bought central states, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, he, he was the, um, was he, I think he was the president when Tommy Rich beat Race. Yeah, this says he was president from 80 to 82. Yeah, and there was uh, some kind of – they did some kind of angle where he had resigned as the president, and I can't remember what that was over. Um, I'm sure somebody listening probably knows or have watched it. I want to say it was something – I want to say that happened in – that may have been when his term ended in 82, like that he – because I think I think Mike's talked about that on their podcast that they did some angle, but I don't remember if it was for the over the tag belts because I like when they were in the middle of that tournament thing that they were doing. That may have been. That, that or, sounds right. Because I don't because I don't think there were any title changes. I don't like the world title. I don't think changed around that time. So it may have been. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was just used. They didn't want to say that he had been voted out or whatever, so they just came up with an angle to explain why he was resigning as the president. Which is funny because I was about to say I thought they only served a certain amount of time that I realized, no, wait, how long was Sev Mushnick president? So I don't think it was... I don't think they yeah, had... They, a, vote, they voted every year at the, yeah. uh, at the, at the promoters' meetings in, in Vegas. You know, and... Also, too, around that time, Crockett, well, during his presidency, they, they're in Knoxville. They're in Toronto. They start sending TVs into Michigan. Um, they were looking to expand. People don't realize that, but they, they had an idea of something right very early on because they were starting to get this stuff out there to places that uh, – um, they may be looking at running. The Mid-Atlantic show started airing in Memphis, and it started airing different places, you know, that was outside of the territory in the early 80s. So I, I think 
I think Jimmy had an idea of expanding. I don't think that he was going to try to expand to take the whole country. And then once Vince started marching, he thought, boy, we've got to now. We It's the only way we're going to survive. And, you know, and, and give him all the credit in the world for what he did. And, and people say, well, he lost at the end. He went out, what? but whatever. Hey, look here. He was a mom and pop business run out of a converted convenience store in Charlotte that was running major cities all across the country and was successful for a time. And I think if they would have stayed east of the Mississippi and not gone above, say, Philly and Baltimore um, into the northeast, they could have still did Ohio and the Pittsburgh, you know, and across there. I, they could have survived for several more years. Um, but eventually it was going to come to an end. So I, I always just tell people, you know, when they say that, I say, just look back at that short run of national 85 to 88. Look at how much happened in that short three years of what went on and, and how great it was. Uh, and it was great, but my my favorite Mid-Atlantic wrestling as a fan was before they got on TBS because it was our wrestling. These are our guys that are coming to our town. This is for us. You know, then they kind of go national, and we realize, well, they're doing it for everybody everywhere. Uh, it was our hometown sports team. Yeah, I think when when people realize how small they were, if they think about it, I mean, you know, you've got contrast like the sort of image of Titan Tower that everybody has versus if people have ever seen the angle where the Horsemen uh, attack Dusty with well, the make it good yeah. uh, angle, for lack of a better term, when you see them pull into that sort of strip mall office complex. That was Jim Crockett Promotions. That was Briarbend Drive. That was <laughs> that was their headquarters when it looks like they're outside of Seven Eleven. Yeah, that was Jim Crockett Promotions. Yeah, tied him to the ring truck. That that was it. That was headquarters right there. You know, but you just look at what they did and, and how they. I mean, look at the people like that grew up in Vern Gagne's territory. And grew up in the the New York territory. They had never seen a style of wrestling like that until they got on TBS, and until they started going. And it kind of opened people's eyes to, wow, this is a lot different than what we grew up on. And, and we like this. It's more excitement. It's more, you know, it's more angle based. It's more blood and guts and raw. And, you know, they're in some small arenas and in TV studios. Man, this is different. And the excitement that they could get out of that studio with, what, 80 to 100 people sitting in there? I mean, it's just, it's unbelievable. And any time that you saw Jim Crockett on television, you knew this is big. This is something. He ain't just out here to say hello. He's coming for a reason. And something's either getting ready to happen or he's getting ready to announce something that is coming to happen. 
Yeah, see, I don't know if we talked about this before, but, I mean, I didn't start watching until 1985 anyway. So, like, I've only seen, like, the first stuff that I remember, because I had started, you know, uh, my friends had convinced me to start watching, like, probably like a lot of people, especially where I am, started watching the WWF and immediately did not cotton to it. And then they said, well, there's the other wrestling, you know, and which I instantly, yeah. I, I mean, cause that was the earliest I can remember watching was like right after the great America, right after the first bash in 85. So I jumped on like the almost perfect time to start watching Crockett. Yeah. You know, because it was right before, you know, Flair's heel turn on Dusty. And, you know, all the pieces for that Starcade were starting to to be put into place. And then, but see, I didn't have, I didn't have cable yet. So I only had the two syndicated shows. So I didn't. Yeah. So it's fun because, like, my friends that lived in town where I am had cable, but I didn't because we're in the middle of the country. So it wasn't until later that we realized that there were programs being run on TBS that we never saw on the syndicated show. You know, like the, yeah. like the, the people that were sort of working the Georgia end of Crockett at that point that weren't always on the syndicated show. I mean, we never saw, we didn't see, any of like the midnight's stuff with the Sawyers, you know, I think that was right. like TBS only in the beginning. Yeah. Cause yeah. it wasn't until, cause I don't think we saw the midnight's until a little while later when they started the feud with Valiant that I think that was like the first time, like I saw them on Crockett TV, although I had seen them, in world class already because I think the station that was showing world class was also showing like slightly old, like they were showing new stuff and old stuff at the same time. Uh-huh. Cause, cause you know, I remember, <laughs> you know, I became instantly attracted for a number of reasons to the, to the fat loud mouth wearing the glasses, carrying the tennis racket. You know, he was instantly because that's what I was. So he like yeah. <laughs> he was like he was like my favorite person from like the beginning, and little did I know where that would end up. But uh... <laughs> here, here, here's how blessed I was as a fan of Jim Crockett promotion. I got to see Steamboat Youngblood Carnoodle Slaughter live multiple times. I got to see um, the Jimmy Valiant Assassin Boogeyman Jam on tour and the unmasked Jody Hamilton in Kingsport with Paul Jones in the cage outside the ring. I got to see Baby Doll walk to the ring with Dusty the very first time the day after the Great American Bash 85 they ran Johnson City Sunday afternoon the next day. And that's how we found out who won the night before in Charlotte. 
when Tully came to the ring by himself, and then she came out with Dusty dragging her. Which uh, that card was headlined by Flair and Magnum. Uh, I saw the, the Bash '86, which in in Johnson City, which was unbelievable. Wahoo Tully, Garvin Flair, Midnight's Cornet against Dusty Magnum and Baby Doll. Uh, that that whole card was just unbelievable. I I got to see so many live events here, and so many of the big angles to the blow off. Uh, we got the Kingsport got Slaughter Canoodle against Steamboat Youngblood in a cage coming off of the final conflict. Um, like I said, we saw Jody Hamilton unmasked. Um, Nick Bockwinkle came through here for Crockett in 79 and defended the AWA title here. Um, so, I mean, so much. Midnight Rock and Roll. I can't tell you how many times I saw that live in the Tri-Cities. Midnight Road Warriors coming off of Starcade. Saw that. Um, I mean, I just, I got totally Dusty. Saw it live. I got to just see so Dusty and Flair coming off of Starcade 85, the rematch. We thought it was for our town only. The building was sold out on a Wednesday night. They're turning people away. They had the building set up for half a house and had to tear the curtain down to, to let the people start sitting on the other side of the building. So, I mean, I, I got to see so many great matches from Crockett Promotion and so many wonderful memories of, of guys. I saw Harley Race defend the world title for Crockett. Um, you know, I saw Wahoo as a heel with Tully Blanchard against Manny and Dusty for the world titles in Kingsport. It's just, I, I was so blessed, and everybody that grew up in this area, we got to see all the stuff that people are still talking about now. Yeah, see, I unfortunately only saw, I, I probably only got to see two Crockett shows live off the top of my head. It's like we went once, because again, I mean, for me, it's an hour to get to Baltimore. Yeah. And an hour to Philadelphia. So, and as a teenager, it's like me and my friends are not driving to downtown Baltimore or downtown Philadelphia by ourselves. So, you know, I got, you know, I got my parents to take us like once in early 86 to see Crockett. And then we went to the bash that was in Philadelphia, like the first bash in Philadelphia. Yeah. And I think is that in the, in the stadium? Yeah, that was in the 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 ballpark. The yeah, yeah, that was yeah. Um, for people who want to hear more about that, I had Chris, Chris was on the podcast last year, right around that time, and we talked about me going to that. I mean, which is now sort of a, an infamous show. If only for the thing about Wahoo yeah. getting the, the blade stuck in his forehead. <laughs> um, but, you know, that was, you know, so it was like sort of a rare treat for us. To, I mean, I think I think we went to one WWF show in like late 1985 in Baltimore, and then we went to one Crockett show. Although I think I still have the pictures that I took that night somewhere in the house. So that's, you know... 35 years ago, whatever. Because I know we had... It might have still been technically a Pro Wrestling USA kind of thing. I think it was because... 
I think we got basically what you would expect. We got Dusty Flare, Warriors against the Russians, um, Midnight's versus Rock and Roll. But then I think we also got, um, I think we got AWA matches. Like I think we got Hanson. I think we got Hanson Slaughter. Or Hanson Bockwinkle. Did that? I'm thinking the show you're talking about just showed up on YouTube not long ago. Oh, I have to. I'll have to check that out. I mean, that may have been like what was. That may have just been like the loop. But uh, yeah, but I'm thinking there's a there's a Baltimore Pro Wrestling USA show that's on YouTube now. I think. Uh, no commentary, but the full full card. I'll have to. My, my biggest, my biggest event I saw. Uh, oh, oh, I saw Starcade on the big, big screen in Freedom Hall. They would show Starcade here on the closed circuit on Thanksgiving night. Uh, 85, 86, 87. They didn't do the first two. Um, but the biggest one that I was at live was Great American Bash '87, football stadium in Charlotte. Dusty Tully, hundred thousand dollar barbed wire match. Hawk and Flair, Animal and Arn. Um, gosh, who else was on that? Barry Windham, I think, and Bubba Rogers. It was huge. And I was there live for that. That was my 13th birthday present was to get to go to the Great American Bash in Charlotte. And that's the greatest live event I ever saw. Yeah, see, I went to, I mean, technically, like, the biggest wrestling show that I've ever been to was WrestleMania, which was not a great experience because this was in the Hoosier Dome when I was in college. And it was, uh, it's funny because I, I worked for the college paper. So I actually got quote unquote pre- press credentials, which oh, got wow. me, which got me a press or uh, a press kit full of, you know, the usual things that you would expect. And they ticket, which honestly was eight rows from the very top of the Hoosier Dome. <laughs> we, meanwhile, the guys from the newspaper who had already bought their tickets were sitting on the floor. It's like we all went up together and they're like, we'll see you later. And I'm like, I may see you, but I doubt you can see me. So... You know, I was at a historic show, but I certainly would not call it the best show that I've ever been to. Yeah. I mean, I mean, top to bottom, the best show that I've, I mean, the best show was interesting, but it wasn't really that great a card, although, you know, some famous stuff happened on it, but like, it would probably be the one Pillman show that I went to because that was a year that had the Benoit Regal match which was yeah. which was as as good as you would expect it to be and you know I don't know if they've come out but when Les was on the podcast he said they're putting out some Pillman show DVDs so I mean, people will finally. I mean, that match is on YouTube, so it's not like it's hard to find or anything. Yeah. But I know, but there's, I don't know if like a lot of the other stuff is like on you because I know there was a commercial tape, I think, or something. But I mean, 
I'm sure not everything is easily available because you have so many weird rights issues when you had WCW guys and ECW guys and WWF guys and then the local guys all working on the same show, some of them against each other. So you can just imagine that. Oh, it's like the the, uh, the event we did for Mark Curtis in Pittsburgh, right, right outside of Pittsburgh. Yeah, they was they had WWF, ECW, and WCW guys on the card, plus a bunch of people from here and different places. And I know Shane and Cody had all kinds of headaches putting that card together. No video could be shot. Nothing. They, you know, can't show this. Nobody can see this. No cameras. I mean, it was a mess. So I'm sure Les had to deal with that too, but not as much evidently if he did get to video it. So a few years had passed, I guess, before you got to the, the Pillman memorials. So maybe they, was there still a WCW? Yeah, because this was 2000, so they were oh, okay. still around. I'm trying to. So it was a year after the, the Curtis deal. Yeah, because the, well, the, I think those guys had jumped already because I think they were already the Radicals on that show. Because the day before the show, there was like a quote-unquote fantasy camp that was named after Brian. And I know that, like, Benoit and Eddie and Dean were there, and I think Shane was there, and maybe Perry Saturn. So it was a it was a bunch of those guys, but I'm pretty sure there were yeah there must have been well because because Nash was there, so there must have so there were WCW guys there. But he didn't work. I think he just came to, like, present a check to the fund or something to that effect. Although I remember okay. there's – although if I remember – I'm not 100% sure, but I remember there's something weird about that too. But I don't remember the details. But, uh, yeah, because I know, like, a bunch of Les's guys were on the card and then – it was, I'm trying to think. I know it was like Eddie, I think Eddie wrestled D'Lo, I think, and then it somehow morphed into a tag match that may involve Perry and Dean or something to that. It's. It was like a weird thing where like it started out as a match and then it evolved into a tag and then, you know, one of those kind of schmosses. Yeah. But, I mean, I don't, it's it's funny. It's like, as much as I've, all the shows that I've seen, it's like, you know, there have been, like, selected match highlights over the, you know, like, I've seen a bunch of really interesting stuff when I used to go to Chikara for a couple years. You know, only because of, like, some of the weird combinations. Like, when they would do the King of Trios in Philly, and they would bring in all of this talent from all over like a lot of indie town and some old guys and i mean you know i got to see the i mean i was there when we had the demolition one-man gang re, you know 
tag, and it's just that's when the gang had to dance off with Larry Sweeney when he was um some one of the guys that I know was in the crowd dressed as Akeem, and then like <laughs> they saw him, and when the gang did the dance off with Larry Sweeney, they went out and they grabbed his hat, so the gang put the Akeem hat on. And was like doing his Akeem dancing. Yeah. I mean, that was cool. And, you know, some of the indie guys that I've seen, you know, like Quack and Daniel, you know, I saw Quack and Danielson and Claudio and, you know, all those guys that are now sort of bigger stars I've seen, but nothing. It's the kind of thing where I now, reg... it's the thing where I think I was around. And, like, stuff that I theoretically could have gone to, but I didn't, that I now kind of, you know, look back and and regret, even though logistically it probably wouldn't have always been possible. But, you know, there was stuff that's happened in Baltimore and Philly that, like, I wish I would have been to. It's like I had just gone to college in the fall of 1988 when they had the the match where the Midnights beat the Horsemen in Philly. And I just, yeah. I'm like, you know, if I still would have been here, I'm sure, I mean, I'm 18 by then, so I'm sure my friends and I, knowing that the Horsemen were going to wrestle at Midnight Express, we probably would have gone to that and not expected to see a title change. But yeah, that that's something good about Crockett there. You didn't expect to see the title change any title change but it was done so well you would think it could happen tonight and they would switch titles and towns you know not show it just announce that hey uh such and such won the mid-atlantic title in richmond this past week and there he is with the belt and people's like ah, i should have went you know <laughs> Or the U.S. title switch, you know, they didn't. They would show it if it was going to be a big angle. But they would do title switches that you would not expect and towns that you did not expect. Like they switched the Mid-Atlantic tag belts one time in Appalachia, Virginia, which is about an hour north of me in a town at that time of maybe 2,500 people. And they switched the Mid-Atlantic tag belts there. Johnny Weaver and Jay Youngblood beat uh, Smirnoff and uh, oh, Nikolai Volkov for the titles in that town. And I've always wondered why that town. <laughs> and I, I guess it's so you would think, well, shoot, if a belt could change hands in Appalachia, Virginia, it can change hands anywhere. Well, I noticed that... Uh... On the uh, on this week's episode of Ron's podcast, he was teasing for next week, and he's talking about they're having, I guess, the first title changes that he did in Johnson City that are that are coming up in the week in 1977. Because I think he said it was the first time they had changed the title outside Knoxville. So yeah. And, and no video of it, I'm sure. Uh, they just announced today, Tuesday night in Johnson City, this is what happened. And 
we didn't see it. We better be there next week. Yeah, it's. I mean, I guess if we can, if we want to officially segue into talking about Southeastern Continental at this point, but uh, I know it's like we're certainly at a very interesting point in uh, on Ron's show now that we're uh, at the very beginnings of '77, which it sound. I mean, you can tell me if I'm wrong or not, but. It sounds like from everything that I've read that like this is probably the biggest year of their of their time in Knoxville coming up is seventy yeah. seven. Yeah, it gets real hot in seventy seven. Because uh, for people, I, I would assume anybody that's listening to us talk about this listens to Ron show, so I probably don't need to say this, but like at this point in seventy seven, the stopper has just come in for like maybe a couple months and is feuding with, with Bob Armstrong and Ronnie Garvin's there, although he's getting ready to leave at this point before coming back later. But and yeah, it just, Knoxville. yeah, it just sounds like, uh, it, it is another thing where it's like, you know, when you, you know, Ron's such a great storyteller when you hear, you know, that you just wish there was, there was more even like even we just had like a little bit more of the sort of very little that we have and i know you have some stuff and i know we were lucky enough last year that you know les gave joe some stuff to post online so we got like a whole tv show that you know i presume hardly anybody had like ever seen since 1970 well there you go if you hadn't seen it then but I mean that was so great because we got to see we got to see Condry and Higgerson as a tag team, which is you know one of those things that you know we hear you know Cornette talk about that you know as great as Dennis and Bobby were that you know Dennis and Phil were were tremendous also. Anybody that saw them says that. Anybody that worked with them says that. They they were one of the greatest teams ever. But it's it's funny that there are certain guys when you look back sort of at that territory era that we kind of now associate with one or maybe two teams that some of their other great partnerships have just been sort of lost because we don't have tape or that their accomplishments sort of were so great that we forget about some of their other stuff. It's like, you know, with Bobby and Dennis and Bobby and Stan, you know, that people forget about Bobby and Coco when they were in Memphis. And like I said, Dennis, Dennis with Phil or, you know, Arn with Jerry Stubbs or even Arn with Matt Bourne in Georgia. There are these guys that just, are the linchpins of so many other great tag teams that were great, but just are, are sort of unknown to the casual fan, I guess. And then there's, then there's teams that are forgotten like the Von Brauners that drew so much money across the South from Texas to the Carolinas and 
especially here in Tennessee, that most people have no idea about because they were so far before, you know, the eight millimeter film and tape and all that stuff, nothing of them survived. Then there's teams like Ken Ramey and the interns where there's very little of them that people, you know, in the infernos and JC Dykes, there's nothing of them. Um, but those were all the guys that those teams were the ones that we just talked about, watched and learned from, and then became great tag team wrestlers afterwards. And, and it's a shame that we don't have stuff of the the first generation of really, really good teams uh, like those guys. And the Kangaroos, there's a little bit of the Kangaroos out there and a few other teams. But, I mean, those were the, those were the pioneers of tag team wrestling. And then, then you see, like you said, with Hickerson and Condry, and, and these are a few – generations later of teams that that we're seeing but all of them guys if you talk to them would say well i saw the von Bronners, or i saw this guy this the the, the interns or the infernos or the whoever's um you know so it's a shame that we've lost so many of the great southern tag teams that nobody knows about which oh uh, that was something i I was on the list of things to ask you that when you're talking about the Von Brauners, that's not them, but listening to Ron and they've been in the Terry for a good long time. But what can you tell me about the Von Steigers? Uh, they were one of the knock I Von Brauner knockoffs yeah, for lack of better. Yeah, they, they lack of better. They were one of those teams that followed, um, that followed the Von Bronners. Uh, I've had like handsome Jimmy who had saw them and who had saw the original Von Bronners because he was in the business that long. He said they were guys like the Von Steigers who were actually better wrestlers than the Von Bronners, but they were after the Von Bronners. So they were always going to be looked at as, not the same. Um, but Devon Steigers had a good little run here for Fuller, and I really don't know a whole lot about where else they were at. One of them worked for Nick Goulas as a singles, and I, I really don't know a whole lot about them other than they had a, a real good run here for Fuller. Were they? Did they ever work as anybody else, or was that – I've got a little bit of video of them, and I've got a picture of them, and I've tried to figure out if if who 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 were they. I need to ask Ron about that. I've never I never had a conversation with Ron about the Von Steigers. I need to ask him that who they were, and and they may have been they may have been a Ron and Robert Fuller creation. They might have been two guys that that the Fullers looked at and said, hey, you know, they kind of look like the Von Bronners. We could do something with this. Because the Von Bronners were so successful for their granddad, for Roy, they knew what kind of heat it could get and how it could be done. Yeah, because, I mean, if they were somebody else, then I'm surprised that, like, it wouldn't have been brought up because it's not like he's been shy about talking about guys in the territory who have been under masks or 
you see, I guess I don't know necessarily about like full gimmick changes, but certainly when he had like the superstars were there. I mean, he said who they were and you know that they've worked yeah, on and on. Yeah, they've done and right. and Baxter. You know, or and the the um, oh the and Jim Dalton, you know, feuding with Dick Stein. You know, he's talked about that. Yeah. So I mean, he hasn't you know totally kept. You know, kayfabe about who they were. So yeah, I don't. But it's funny, interesting. Like in, even in the first couple of years of that company, there's been guys that he's been high on that I think have sort of been lost to time. I guess. I mean, we've heard. You know, certainly in '76 and in '77, he's talked a lot about Rip Smith, but there's like yeah. a guy whose name. You don't hear very often in the beginning of Knoxville, you know, Tommy Siegler was there. And that's a guy that a lot of people don't know. And there's been, there's been a, a and, you know, and, and Mike stopped. Yeah. Siegler was great. He was a great baby face. Tommy Siegler was. And there's, there's at least one match of his on YouTube. It, yeah. Him that and, was, uh... that was posted by, I think somebody in his family. Yeah. That had the the footage from, I think it was from when he worked in Georgia. But I don't remember. I remember seeing yeah. it, like it looking for, it up. It was for Gunkel. It's him, it's him and Dick Steinborn yeah. from, uh, from Gunkel's territory. So looking at the internet, whether you trust it or not, the Von Steigers were Arnold Pastrick and Lauren Colorette. And they worked. 68 to 73 was the original run, and they came back, then they came in here. But they're from Winnipeg and worked mostly in Portland, Stampede, in the AWA, and had a short stay in the Carolinas. But I don't ever remember seeing their name in the Carolinas or the AWA, so they had to be somebody else then. Yeah. So I'll I'll talk to Ron about that next time I ask him. how he found them and who they were. But yeah, the, the, you know, here, here's another set of brothers that were real brothers in a team that a lot of people didn't see. And that's Ron and Don Wright, unless you work this territory. And, you know, Ron's been gone for several years now. Donnie's 77 years old. And I still hear, hear their names almost every day here. And, you know, this just, there's such a love for wrestling the way it was here, whether it's the Carolinas, whether it's Tennessee, whether it's Georgia. And I, and I think really it's because it doesn't exist anymore. You know, it's fond memories of what we got to see, whether it was Jim Crockett, whether it was Georgia championship wrestling, whether it was Southeastern, whether it was Jarrett promotions and for the ones our age and older that got to witness it live and be a part of it and watch it every week on TV, we we long for those years that that we got to enjoy it and see the magic happen in front of us. And we find out stuff about guys that we knew from the Crockett territory, let's say, like Condry. Oh, gosh, Bobby wasn't always his partner, and Bobby had – another partner like we were talking about there. So it kind of opens the door once people start to do a little research or see a little stuff that 
man, who would ever thought half of the Midnight Express was teaming with Coco Beware? You know, well, the ones of us that grew up here, we knew it and we missed it. And, and you know, we miss it now because, man, what a great team they were. And it's just whoever lives longest writes history. That's why we've got to continue to do podcasts like this and the research and all the stuff that we can do to keep the history alive. And, and people like Ron Fuller and people like Jim Crockett, and Mr. Crockett's no longer with us. Lee Fields in the Gulf Coast, who's no longer with us. Jim Barnett, who's no longer with us. Their names need to be said as much as we can say them. And we need to educate people or remind people about who they were. By the way, the card from Baltimore that we were talking about earlier, I looked it up. It is indeed a pro, it's a pro wrestling USA card. Um, so yes, it was both. Um, Scott Hall versus Boris Zukov. Tully versus uh, Jimmy Valiant. Magnum versus the Baron. The uh, Zabisco and Bachwinkle. Midnight's Rock and Roll. Hanson versus Slaughter. Flair, Dusty, and Road Warriors versus Russians. So definitely a a loaded show for yeah. you know Baltimore becoming an increasingly important market and. According to Cage Match, so for what it's worth, it says attendance thirteen thousand. So it was definitely a big show. I mean, it's yeah, it's definitely like the A line. I mean, there's you know a handful of people missing, so they were probably working. Again, the Crockets were probably running another show. Oh, somewhere in least, the Car- at least in the Carolinas, you know, because there's no there's no Arn. You know, and no Manny. So, I mean, there, you can, yeah. you look at it for a second, you can see who's missing from the crew Crockett's, the Crockett crew. You know, no Garvin. So, you know, Arn and Garvin were probably the main event in, like, a high school in Carolina, probably. Or yeah. something, something like that. But, yeah, so, I mean, if I could only remember that show, and I will definitely check to see if that's somehow magically the one that showed up, but... Especially because it's, a, I mean, it's branded as Battlestar '86, so it even has a name. So there may have yeah. been, but it's the kind of thing where you, it's like between handhelds and not knowing what's in whose vault. I mean, I don't know if we talked about this last time, but like two years ago, there was a a convention in Richmond that I was set up at, and I asked Cornet. And I asked JJ, who were both there, I said, is there raw footage that exists for the rest of the Crockett Cup, for the first Crockett Cup, that, like, didn't make the videotape? Because it was only a two-hour tape, and, like, the first couple rounds were all highlights, and then, like... The main events and like some of the tag matches were mostly full. They both said, not as far as they knew. And then like a month later, what shows up on the WWE Network? Like four hours of Crockett Cup footage. <laughs> and this is 
JJ and Coronet not knowing it. J- yeah. JJ's in the office and Coronet being Coronet. Yeah. So it's like, like and like we said, Leo, you know that tape that Les had from Southeastern that magically showed up. It's like, who knows how much more Les may have? I mean, if you think about what kind of library Les probably has from, you know. As yeah, far back, Les lost a lot of stuff in a fire two years ago. Um, he, here's the one for me doing the Whitey Caldwell Hall of Fame for Kingsport in 1999, I think it was, or 2000. And I'd always been told there's no footage of Whitey, none. No footage, no footage. You've been told that forever. We're there that night, and I, that afternoon, I'm talking to his family, and his wife says, I wish you would have showed that video of Ron and Whitey on the TV, because I showed some still pictures and stuff, you know. And I said, what? She said, I have a video of them. I would have let you used it. She had had it sitting in her wrestling stuff since the 60s or 70s. It was on film. We we had to take it and get it. And it's only a couple of minutes long, but still, it's Ron versus Whitey. And we had to take it somewhere that could put it over on the tape. Now I'd put it over on the DVD. Now it's the the opening thing on my rare South rare East Tennessee films on my network. Before we go into the Knoxville footage, I have it on, on the streaming service where you can see Ron and Whitey. Um, so there's stuff out there. We just have never found it. It's, it's like we said, it's like some of these things you think there's no more to find. And then we magically find, I mean, that's the funny thing about the history of TV. It's like there's the sort of equivalent of like stuff in England that was on the BBC in like the sixties and seventies Yeah. that, you know, people think have been lost forever. And then magically like they show up in the archives of a TV station in Australia because they had the rights to the BBC footage in Australia and someone there kept it. And then this show that's been lost since like 1968 has suddenly turned up and they have the master. Yeah. And you're like, and then they put it out on DVD and you're like, huzzah. And <laughs> I mean, it's this, it's this, you know, it's the same with wrestling. It's, you know, it's a different genre, like a different area, but you know, my friend Matt that does stuff for us, it's been on the podcast and writes for the magazine He's one of those guys that's watching all that uncovered French stuff from the 1950s. I've I've watched a little bit of that. That's some wild stuff to see. And I mean, you know, admittedly, you know, 99% of the people you've never heard of, you know, most people haven't heard of, but then it's like, you know, there's there's like a rare young Andre match. There's a match with really young Al Hayes, you know, before he yeah. becomes Lord Alfred, you know what I mean? So 
it's just, and then, you know, all that Chicago stuff from the 50s, and you're like, hey, we actually have, like, a match with Warren Bockwinkle in it. You know, and you're like, yes, it's cool to see, like, footage of young Nick from them, but it's like, in a way, it's even cooler to see his dad, who's, like, was only in... I, only a name that I know because he's Nick's dad. I never would have expected right. to see footage of him. Yeah, no, nobody would ever expect that. But here we are, sixty years later, and all of a sudden, it, man, there it is. You know, so it, it, there's there's stuff to find, and it's and like for Crockett, you know, Jimmy got the stuff out of the out of the out of the trash that they threw away after Turner had bought out. It's hard telling over the years, how much stuff had been thrown away out of that office in Charlotte. It, it's hard to tell how much stuff had been thrown away, you know, just everywhere. And hopefully somebody's got some more stuff that will show up in our lifetime that we can see people that we only heard about. I mean, or we can see big moments that we know about from history. Like imagine if it would have shown up with the infernos burning burning uh Les Thatcher with the fire in Charlotte back in the 60s and they had that big money run off of that you know that would be unreal to see something like that well it's like it's amazing that some of the guys you know decided that it was worth the money it's like you know we have like almost the entire mid-south tape library because you know Bill Watts was smart enough to, to keep everything so like yeah you know like i mean of course vince has it now so you know it's you know probably not going to be seen by a majority of people but it's like you know it's like when they had when they were selling the stuff on the website it's like you could go on and buy mid-south episode one from like 1981 and then like buy everything like up to I don't know when they stopped, but I mean certainly at least into some of the UWF stuff. Yeah. So I mean you could have like that entire five six years of Watts all on DVD, you know, and it's you know that's great, and you know most of the world class stuff from like the glory years is available, and I noticed that there's been somebody lately putting a lot of world-class stuff up on YouTube and it's like stuff that I may have like seen in passing years ago, but I really haven't really appreciated until now, but you know, they've been uploading a lot of like the, the big events like the star Wars and the, the events like that. And some of this, it's funny that just the weird stuff that you'll find that, it's like I know on that that eighty three Star Wars show, for some reason has a bunch of all Japan guys on it. Like Jumba like and this is before the Triple Crown, this is how long ago it was, but like Jumbo has one of the belts he's defending against DiBiase in the Sportatorium or in Reunion Arena, whichever it is, and you're just like, This is weird. Or you know, like when <laughs> Or, like, when you see, like, the All Japan TV that they shot in Kansas City. Yeah. You know, and it's just, it just, sometimes it just makes your head hurt when you try and put these things, it's like, why are these things together? Or, you know, when, 
seeing guys when they work out of their their territory. You know what I mean? Like seeing Lawler in Mid South, which is just weird. You know what I mean? Because yeah. I mean now we know Lawler was there because they were working on the deal with Jared and blah blah blah. But it's weird to see Jerry Lawler on Mid South TV. It's weird seeing Jerry Lawler on Southwest TV. Yeah, the you Moondogs know, in Houston. I just saw that last night. That was strange to me. But it's, yeah, it's funny. And then, I mean, I've been, yeah, like for some of the stuff lately, I've seen some weird, or I was looking up, we did a podcast the other day about the Sergeant Slaughter um, Iraqi angle because it's like the 30th anniversary. And so, like, I was looking at all that stuff, which I remember, but then finding, like, old footage of both the Iron Sheik and Adnan LKC from, like, the 70s, and, like, seeing how, seeing the Sheik, like, young and ripped, you know, without yeah. his, his gut is sort of interesting, and uh, we're seeing him even farther back when he had hair. When he was in the AWA, yeah. and you just like you look at it and go, it takes you like five seconds, and you go, oh yeah, that's that's the Sheik, but you wouldn't know it until you stopped and looked at the picture or seeing Adnan without his mustache, you know, let alone when he was Billy White Wolf. But that's an that's a yeah. that's an entirely that is, different. Uh, uh, talking about that Chicago footage. There's a match there, and I, gosh, I can't think who he's wrestling, but it, it's Jimmy Valiant. It's Jimmy Valentine from 64. That's Handsome's second or third match. And it showed up when that Chicago stuff started coming out. I couldn't believe it. I wonder how much... How much old... I wonder how much Vince Sr. stuff is actually that they have like in the library. Like, I wonder how far back some of their stuff goes. It's like, I mean, you know, you know, you see the, like the occasional Bruno clip, but you wonder like, like how far back does some of their garden stuff go? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, do they, the TVs from DC, I've got a couple of those. Like you said, you just don't know what's either what's in these vaults or who, who are these like early tape traders? It's like, Imagine the fact that we have all of that Portland footage because Buddy Rose was taping his own stuff in like 1977. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's 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 just funny that he was that far ahead to like be I mean, you know, saving his own stuff, but it's like you know, it's like who has the VCR in 1977? I mean, I know how big our VCR was in 1982. I can just imagine how right. big this VCR was in, <laughs> in 1977. And, but the, and expensive, too, you know, back then. You know, it's funny. Uh, spe- speaking of, of Jimmy Valiant, I saw I was watching some Southeastern stuff the other day. And, like, I didn't – I was not expecting to see uh, Babyface – Johnny Valiant in Southeastern sitting on the yeah. set with, with Ron. I was like, but I mean, there's, there's, you know, guys, I mean, 
I'm not looking at like that far back. I was just watching stuff to watch it. But I'm, you know, it's it's the thing where, like I said, I started watching in '85, so my memory of certain people, like that's where it begins. And yes, yeah. I can learn about stuff from before then, but it's like, but it doesn't always click like where guys were, especially those, you know, like it's weird to see, like, like Tito Santana to me was like a WWF lifer. So it's weird to see him like in the AWA or in Georgia, like or, outside or of the, or yeah, or yeah. Charlotte, just, you know, that it's, but like certain guys, I don't have any problem with like seeing Snook and Midland, you know, that's not that big a deal or whatever, but it's like, you know, Tito or guys who like had like substantial big careers in places that were before my time. And there isn't always footage of them. So you just don't associate with, it's like a lot of that sort of peak Georgia stuff, like the peak Georgia stuff. Like it's weird to think of Larry Zabisco in Georgia. But like, yeah, but or, he was like a big heel in Georgia. But I yeah. don't. To me, he's a, he's WWF and AWA in yeah, my head. Or Pedro Morales working for Jim Crockett. I, I saw Pedro for Crockett Promotions was a kid, like probably seventy eight, seventy nine, something like that. And had no idea what a big star he was in New York until years later reading magazines. And then when I got into tape trading and seeing it, and I was like, man, I remember he was, you know, a preliminary wrestler for Jim Crockett. And the, so it's, the, it's very strange to see that now. And the other thing that goes hand in hand with that is seeing guys who you always have seen as either a babyface or a heel be somewhere else but flipped. And you're yeah. just like, I can't, like, my brain doesn't, like, if there were footage, theoretically, that existed from, like, the early 70s, like, when he was in Georgia before he went to Crockett, or, like, if Rick Steamboat had been a bad guy in Georgia, in, like, you know, 1975 and 76 or something like that, and then he went to Crockett and became Ricky Steamboat, but it would be weird, but, because we were having that conversation one day, about, you know, the infamous, like, who has never been a heel and who had never been a babyface. And pretty much, like, most, almost everybody has been one or has been both. It's like, yeah. but it's like, you know, when you tell people that, like, yes, Abdullah, Abdullah has been a babyface a couple different times mm-hmm. in places. The Stomper's been a good guy a number of places yeah. at, at different times. Yeah. Or, you know, guys that have always been faces have, like, had, I mean... I mean, famously, Bob Armstrong, you know, one time as a heel, two if you count the Smoky Mountain USWA stuff, and yet was, and was great at it, but just was a babyface for 95% of his career. And the people here in East Tennessee had no idea about Bob's heel run, you know, because we didn't see that, that end of the Southeastern stuff, and it's, and, and, same thing with like Jimmy Valiant, people that only knew him as the Boogie Woogie Man, and then they discover the Valiant Brothers and see these these two bumping machines that were flying and bleeding for the for the baby faces and were these 
hated heels and you're like that's the boogeyman you know that that was a shock for a lot of people and speaking of turns uh as we near the end um we haven't necessarily talked about the stuff that we're doing on our continental project because we had other stuff to talk about but um i am still only within like the first month or so of 85 but we are coming up on what may i guess probably be the first major event of the continental era and that's robert's return and heel turn which it's funny to say now that when you watch sort of like 84 85 and you see robert as a baby face and ron and jimmy as heels it's 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 funny to watch in hindsight knowing for like almost the entire history of continental the stud stable are all going to be be bad guys until probably the sullivan stuff but i guess because am i right that is that match not on tape the the match the cage match where robert turns or is it only in clip form because i haven't gotten to it yet. nope Nope, you will see it in full. Okay. And and that's Robert's first heel turn. See, he, he was a guy that people thought would never be a heel. Would have his whole career as a baby face. So yeah, that that's that is the continental match. That match because that match sets up the next over year. And and is different things are played off of that match all the way to the end of the territory, and you'll see the whole build and, and the match in its in entirety when you get when you get to it. That's good to know. Like I said, I am. I mean, I know the broad strokes of the history of Continental. Yeah. I mean, I see. You know, I've probably seen most of it over time. Um, but like in bits and pieces and not week to week. So, um, so yes, I'm definitely looking forward. That's, that's why I sat down and spent three years (laughs) putting everything together in order. The every, everything that survived in order. I'll say that's, I I was going to say, I haven't gotten, I am luckily have not gotten to like the first missing episodes, which is. You know, I haven't necessarily figured out what we're going to do when we get there. Like, whether we'll just go by the results and maybe just do a write-up of what we know happens and then just skip ahead yeah. to the next TV. But, yeah, I mean, it's it's great that we have almost, you know, as much as we do. Yeah. It's, uh, every major, th- every major thing is in that DVD set. Um, the, I... I can't think of anything that was major that's not in there, that whole run. Um, It may not be the full episode, but you'll see, like, the bullet and flare with the flame showing up. You'll see, uh, you know, all the major stuff is there. And it's it's just, like I said, I I put it together – no idea how long it was going to take me to do it because it's like I would get through and go, man, I'm missing this episode. And then somebody would email me and go, I got some continental stuff, you know, 
And I said, well, tell me what you have. Oh, I don't have dates or nothing. I said, I don't care. Just tell me the matches that you have. And then I could, because of Birmingham, I could go, holy crap, there's an episode I'm missing. And, and this one here uh, that we're just talking about, the, fl- the, the turn in the cage, I could not find it anywhere for years. And just out of the blue, some guy emails me and goes, I got some stuff. Let me send it to you. And he sends it to me, and there it is. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. So, you know, that's what gives you hope that it's all out there somewhere. Somebody's got it. Um, but I will leave the next set to somebody else to fill in and put together because I, I don't have another three years to redo it. That's great. And yeah, we'll definitely, I'm sure as we get farther along in this project, we will definitely have you back on to talk about wherever we happen to be yeah. at that point in time. Unfortunately, it's been a couple of weeks since, um, since we've done anything. Uh, I've, we've, we've talked, uh, off air about me, um, the difficulty so far I've been having in acquiring guests, which you are uh, going to hopefully point me in some right directions on that. So we, we are very hopeful, maybe, that the next time we do a Continental episode, we will have a guest from someone who was there, who was part of the show. Yeah. Um, I you know I don't want to make any promises because that's when they fall through, but... It will certainly be nice to get, I mean, we've had Ron on, and again, it's sort of, it's like once you've had Ron on, you know, uh, without meaning to slight anybody, it's all it's all uh, downhill if you've already had Ron on. Right. But, uh, and that's not to slight, you know, well, I guess can't have, you know, any of the Armstrong, you know, any of the Armstrongs or Rob or Jimmy or Rip or Dr. Tom, whoever you know, it may eventually be on the podcast, not to slight any of them in any way. But when, you know, although we didn't necessarily talk a whole lot about Continental when he was on because, well, I guess we kind of did. Because it was right after, it was right before he went to Bob's funeral. So we were talking about some of the Continental stuff. But certainly this project hadn't uh, hadn't started yet. So we didn't talk about any of that. So hopefully I'll have him on again, maybe some point to talk about something um uh, i'll give you i'll give you a little spoiler for the stud cast i'm now putting together the southern end for him he so we're not far we're not far from that he he mentioned i don't know if you've heard today's episode yet but yeah I he am. yeah he mentioned because um his his learning tree segment was somebody asking, how do you remember all this, Ron? And he's like, one, I have a good memory. And two, I kept my notes. And he's like, three, I have people helping me. And he said, you know, somebody's been helping him with the Knoxville stuff. And he said, you know, and Bo has been helping me to start lining, you know, start working on stuff from the Alabama end. So he gave you a plug today. So you can look forward okay. when, wherever you, yeah, whenever I, I you get a, a chance to listen yet. Well, that's a, it's, so, it's, yeah, he, he yeah. asked me a couple of weeks ago to start putting it together. So I, I've started putting it together for him. So, 
Yeah, luckily this was... Uh, I had the day off, and so I was eating lunch when that episode dropped, so I was able to listen to it. Plus, I knew it was going to be Garvin versus the Stomper, so it was not an episode I wanted to let sit for a couple of days. I wanted to <laughs> go ahead and listen, because I guess I know there's some... I'm sure it's... I don't think it's this match, but I know there is some... I don't, I don't know if it's something you posted, but I know there's Garvin versus Stomper footage that's on YouTube. Yeah, I posted it's... Uh, it's like a... It's from ICW. And, uh, it's yeah, it was from Knoxville, but they showed it on uh, Southeastern or showed it on ICW. But yeah, it's from Southeastern. It's Garvin Stomper and Don Carson, so it's right around this time we're, we're getting into here. So that's cool. Yeah, so that's something people can look forward to in the future. Um. I guess uh, before we go, before I we get to your plugs, I I was going to start the show with this, but we got right into it. But uh, how's your eye been? You had you had some uh, issue with it lately. Yeah, I went uh, for a lack of a better word. I was blind for about six days in my right eye, and uh, I came off of the steroids and the other meds on Sunday, and it's. It hadn't been 100% in years, so it ain't 100%, but it's with my glasses and everything I see fine now. It just was like five, about five and a half weeks there, just lots of doctor visits and eye and this and that. And uh, so I'm back up and around and, and uh, you know, I just got to protect it. I got to wear sunglasses outside all the time now, and I just got to... Uh, try not to get hit in the eye as much as I have in the first 46 years of my life. And, <laughs> and that's kind of hard now with the line of work that I'm into now. And, and I've got a four-year-old nephew who stays with me all the time. Who's always jumping on his uncle and wanting to wrestle with him. I was going to say, uh, it's like, you may not be having any matches, but you've got a rambunctious little guy to deal with. So, <laughs> yeah. and he, and he thinks he's a wrestler. He tells me every day, I need big muscles. I'm going to be a wrestling champion. I say, you're going to be a Chicago Cub. I don't want to hear about wrestling. You're going to play baseball. So. It's almost that. I was going to say, we were, I know I know you've been posting about spring training. I've been watching some of it so far. So yeah. it's almost, I'll say it was 70 today. So it almost feels like baseball weather here. So yeah, Same here. Same in East Tennessee. 70 degrees and nice and sun was shining yesterday and today me and Waylon got outside for a little bit yesterday and i was had my older nieces and nephews today that are in town for spring break so it's we're almost ready for uh opening day of baseball that's great and so uh with that said please feel free to tell us about your podcast and your patreon and the southern states network and anything else you want to mention yeah, I do a podcast. Um, matter of fact, I just <laughs> last night finished recording one. I'm going to uh, edit together. I'm going to play some 1974 Knoxville audio, very rare. Uh, some of it I've put on YouTube over the years, but this, this is stuff I haven't shared anywhere else before. And I'm going to talk a little bit about Jim Crockett there on the beginning of this podcast, but that's patreon.com slash King of King Sport, only $2.99 a month. And then later in the month here, I'm going to do another mailbag where I answer questions from wrestling fans that 
may want to know some stories about people I work with along the years, or maybe some historical stuff on continental southeastern or anything else they think I can answer. If they're a Patreon, they can send it to me on there, and I answered it. I had a great time with the first one that I did a few months ago. It's always great to get feedback and answer questions for people. And uh, if you want to see some southeastern rare footage, you can see that and all kinds of other great stuff on the Southern States Wrestling Network, southernstateswrestlingnetwork.pivotshare.com, $4.99 a month. New subscribers start your free seven-day trial now. It does not only have my promotion of Southern States Wrestling, which is this is our 30th year uh, anniversary, so there's years and years and years of footage to come, but I also have Atlantic Coast Wrestling with like the Hardy Brothers and Hardy Boys and, and Shane Helms and C.W. Anderson, all these guys when they were real young there on the Atlantic Coast Championship Wrestling section of the of our network I also have nationwide championship wrestling i have tennessee championship wrestling from the 90s all-star wrestling uh and from more recent era and just all kinds of great stuff on there but also have a history section where you can see the lost films of east tennessee and you also can see some ron wright's all-star wrestling on there right after they had split away from fuller so check that out 4.99 a month and the dvds that we were talking about here and that Mark's using to go through the continental stuff. If you're interested in them, kingofkingsport.com. So if you want to buy the whole set at one time, send me a message, and I will give you a deal. So that's about all I've got going on right now. Um, wrestling pretty much went to a halt with the pandemic. Here we are a year later. And if you listen to my podcast, you know all the stuff I've been going through the last year, but I'm in a new line of work right now and wrestling's kind of in the back burner, but I do this stuff like this podcast and the stuff I just told you that I do to keep myself close to the business and to keep the history alive. And, uh, you know, I went down Monday and visited with Tom Pritchard at the Jacobs wrestling, uh, what is Jacobs Pritchard wrestling Academy. And I hadn't been in there in a couple of years since they got it opened up and, just looking at the stuff that Tom has on the walls in that school is unreal. Uh, pictures that he had took in Houston as a kid, pictures of him wrestling with different people everywhere. And I mean, it just, I love looking at that kind of stuff. Uh, looking at Nick Bockwinkel pictures and just all these different people, the Von Bronners, all these different people that Tom and I both saw coming up and, and, it's just unreal to look at it, and that's why we got to keep the history alive. We got to keep talking about Jim Crockett and Ron Fuller and Tom Pritchard and everybody else. We got to keep the history alive to let people know what this business was. And I appreciate you letting me come on here and do that. I am I am always happy to talk to you, Bo. I there are a couple of people that like it seems like I only have them on to do. Uh, tribute episodes and like in a way that's a shame but in a way it's like like you said it's important to memorialize especially like key people like uh like jim crockett especially uh, yeah. again you know uh, like you said victors write the history and they don't always write it the way it actually happened so it's always right. good it's good to have uh, a independent sources and B the people that were actually there tell their stories. So um, the fake history does not uh, win out over the real history. 
So I'm always I'm I'm always glad to talk all old school with you, Bo, or baseball or whatever we may talk about. So I know you'll be back. You'll be back. Yeah, you'll be back on at some point. We'll find something to talk about. So it's good talking to you today. Thank you very much. Like you said, uh, we hoped. Like I said, with Bo's help, we may have some stuff in the works. Don't know when that'll happen. Um, be on the lookout. We will hopefully finally start updating the Continental TV recaps again soon. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we will talk to you next time.